Hi, I'm Chris Hutchings and I'm your host. Welcome to the 10Q Interview Podcast. In today's episode, I talked to Rebecca Roberts. Rebecca, you may know from her fantastic podcasts, plural, uh, or her freelance marketing uh, endeavors. This was a good one. You could take away for a lot from this one. I sure did. If this is your first time listening to 10Q Interview, I wish you a very, very warm welcome. I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you do, let me know your favorite bit on social media, at 10Q Interview, everywhere you may look. And most importantly, as you know from every podcast you listen to, please beg and ask and request this. Don't forget to hit subscribe or follow wherever you listen to this. Obviously, it's a huge uh, part of how I can get this podcast to grow and be heard elsewhere. It would mean the world to me and Rebecca, no doubt, if you share this episode far and wide. There is going to be lots of takeaways that you think of um, different people for. So make sure to let them know. Anyway, enough of me rambling. Now, onto the podcast. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining me on 10Q Interview this morning. I'm really looking forward to that chat. I've seen a lot of your stuff and I think it's going to be a really good one. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Good. Let's kick off straight away with question number one. You meet a stranger and they ask you what you do. What is it you're most likely to say to them? Why I don't find this question so difficult, I don't know, because it sort of made me think about seeing family and going, what do you actually do? Um, I would say I'm marketing and communications consultant. So I deliver support on like an interim freelance or sort of project campaign basis. And I mainly work uh, in the sports, education, charity and public sectors. And I have a particular interest slash obsession with um, engaging youth audiences. And I have a couple of podcasts, but don't we all, Chris? (laughs) We do all have a couple of podcasts. (laughs) Um, It's kind of funny how many people struggle to say what they do. It's so weird. And and there's a range of reasons that people say. Sometimes they're, they're just either embarrassed by it or they don't quite know how to convey what it is. I guess these days, especially yourself, right? You do so many different things that to I don't know particularly to an older generation probably weren't even around like like my mum my mum and dad always ask me what I do and they never understand it but it's not one specific thing and I think that's the thing isn't it you go if you're a doctor like there's no you might have a different word for it but it's kind of straightforward or solicitor but I think when you kind of do you're like you feel like saying I'm a bit of a jack of all trades but you don't that's horrendous so I just think it's like (laughs) oh I'll just do a bit of this bit of that and yeah, it's a bit humble because you don't want to sort of, I hate that um, when you read a job description, like we're looking for our next rock star, I'm like, get in the bin, hate that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you'd never describe yourself like that. Well, I hope not. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> have you read um, Have you read The Multi-Hyphen Method by Emma Gannon? I haven't. I'm just holding it up for anyone who's listening. Um, I'll send you a copy afterwards. I think I've sent it to someone else I had on the podcast who said a very similar thing to you about, oh, you know, not um, doing all lots of different things and, and whatever. So marketing and a podcast, podcast related to your marketing. Yep. So um, youth audiences, which I mentioned are in particular interesting. So I do an annual report, just summarising, which I'll talk about in a little bit, really, um, about all the different issues affecting young people in the UK. And mm-hmm. so one of my podcasts is the Hear It podcast, and I get people on who are either done research or doing something really interesting in the youth space and talk about that. And then the other podcast is more of a marketing comms industry one, which I host with Harriet Small called Have You Got Five Minutes? And that is mainly born out of the pandemic. We hadn't even met when we started recording. We'd done like a year of recording and then met for the first time. 
which is kind of right? yeah which is kind of weird and we just we were on a comms group and we were speaking every week and then we were we really hit it off and we said we're missing just that you know what do you think about this issue and nothing too formal like here's your learning points from the episode it was just like this is just want to say what we think or ask people what what their take on stuff is and so it became like a bite-sized kind of industry piece really that's a bit more fun I guess so I don't know if I missed it how did you meet each other we were on so we were on a comms group so comms 2.0 Darren Caveney um I've done various bits of work with with Darren and he'd got like a I guess it's like a therapy group we had a a weekly call during the pandemic we were all missing a lot of freelancers and self-employed were missing kind of chatting with people in the office so we said this group and we just had like this weekly call we were sort of just chatting about stuff and then um I was talking about my podcast which I set up to hear it and then um, Harriet and I were bantering about like we had an idea and then we went we could actually make this happen and that's how it kind of started I love that so you'd never met each other yeah we did a year of recording we'd never actually met in real life oh man that's incredible I mean that just goes to show you like you know the technology around what you can do these days with little effort right yeah it's so easy podcast it well I don't want to belittle podcast but it is easy just to kind of go what's our idea and just yeah just do it for a bit of fun and see how it goes out of curiosity, because obviously I have a podcast too, um, what was what was your sort of intention from it? What was your aim? Um, well, we mentioned this before, didn't we, before we came on, but definitely with the Hear It podcast. So I do this report once a year and it's trawling through like 50 plus different reports and research data points. And, um, and I write a summary and it's useful and lots of people kind of access it, which is great. But through that and through lots of meeting other people, I was having really great quite rich conversations just about their specific area and I felt yeah. like oh this report kind of doesn't have that um and also that one moment out to a potential audience group once a year is great but like so what so the hear it podcast I felt like it was a good opportunity to kind of bring a bit more context and less about the numbers and storytelling to it yeah. but it's another way um I guess it's like the 2020 version of networking for me because I'm awkward as with like corporate networking I just uh it just feels like a big LinkedIn humble humble brag kind of thing I just I don't mind it I'm just I find it quite awkward so yeah do do you know what about I mean it's funny you say that about networking events because I spoke to someone else about this recently and if you and I had met at a networking event this morning we'd have had a coffee we'd have gone oh hey I'm Chris this is what I do you're gonna I'm Rebecca this is what I do and it'd been like that sort of 30 second speed date slash kind of pitching to each other and then we'd have both gone on our ways, gone, you know, whatever. And not actually really got any value out of the conversation. Yeah. Whereas now, I mean, we spoke for five or ten minutes before this, and obviously we're going to speak on the whole podcast. You kind of almost come away from podcasts feeling like you know someone, and you made a new friend, or, you know, like, but you genuinely actually sort of get more information out of someone. And I, 100%. I don't think that's really spoken about enough with podcasting. No, and also I've I've approached people that I think are – like really interesting at what they do um a lot of the projects I put teams together like collective freelance teams to to tackle issues and I've worked with four maybe more of people that I've got I've approached because I'm like I'd love to work with them and I'm like hey do you want to come in on this pitch and they've come in and worked together so it works both ways I don't think I've ever I don't think I've interviewed people that have then turned into clients oh yeah I have I interviewed someone that uh they'd see me speak at something they'd ask me we'd talked a little bit and then I was like oh you should come on my podcast I'd love to talk about your work they did and then I got invited to tender through that like oh, months cool. and months later so yeah it can happen for through that um 
it's not the sole reason we do it but I think if you're interested in an area it's yeah it feels a comfortable way for me personally anyway yeah and the marketing side of things the consultant freelance stuff yeah yeah like what the podcast stuff I do on that or no the you're at your I guess your actual business actual business yeah so um (laughs) so it's a real mix of stuff so sometimes I um will supplement a team that's like recruiting and I'll help that team recruit and I will do kind of on an interim basis like I never I tend not to go full-time mainly because I, it's always like the pipeline for the next client but I'll do yep. several days so I did like a six-month sim with British Triathlon after doing campaign for them this year and um, they had someone on mat leave, so they're like we need like a, a senior comms person that can help us on crisis and like put together media stuff on a monthly basis and like sort of work with the team um, and then other stuff, it's like, oh, I've got, you know, a specific project. We're really busy. So for Lumos uh, Charity, they were like, we want you to launch a youth campaign um, to sort of help us stop um, uh, orphanage tourism, but it's t- targeting students. It's like, great. So worked with their team, but also managing agencies as part of that kind of creative briefing process. So, right. yeah, I either plug into teams or I kind of pitch, I guess, as an agency, but it is just me as a sole trader or a collective of freelancers. So, yeah, it kind of allows that flexibility to kind of work on interesting stuff, really. You didn't work on the British cycling announcement a little while ago, did you? Uh, no, well, the Shell one. Yeah. Lols. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, did, I did get a couple of messages about it, though, from other, other sports, like, we've just announced this partnership. Yeah, it's a difficult one because, you know, I was talking about that one the other day and I said, like, you know, Shell do a lot of stuff to try and talk about the green stuff they want to do and the, the change they want to make, right? So yep. potentially, and I don't know, I don't know about the deal, but potentially that could have been what the, the agreement's based on, but we don't know. And the way it was communicated sort of sparks a, a thought that was anyone in PR or comms at a senior level involved in that discussion? Because I'm sure anyone like day one of PR would go, guys, this might go down badly. Like, do, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just, yep. I'm really curious about how that all kind of came to light. So yeah, it was a interesting PR day for them. It's kind of a weird one, isn't it? Because I guess, on one hand, you know, for all the stuff Shell do, I'm sure there is part of them that wants to do the right thing somewhere. But then the catch-22 of that is they're not even, and again, like you, I don't know any ins and outs of this deal, but they're kind of caught in a, between a rock and a hard place, right? They want to do the stuff, and then as soon as they do it, it's like, oh, you're greenwashing. <laughs> yeah, and also, look, sports need money. Like, that's... Yeah. You, you can't knock a sport for going, we need money. But I think as a brand, you have to look at where that money's coming from. And if it is a potentially controversial place, oh my gosh, double down on your comms, like way in advance and do something yeah. big around that because you could you could predict that response, right? Anyone could yeah. have predicted that would go down badly. So it's just, yeah, no judgment because I think particularly on social, it's too easy to be like, well, that's that and label it because we just don't know. But mm. yeah, that's me on the outside thinking that's, I'm curious about that, yeah. Indeed. Okay. So you're very busy at the moment with marketing and podcast work. But when you were younger, what did you want to be? Oh, this is a, a difficult one as well. There wasn't a set thing I wanted to be. I think my key influences probably I'd say, so my dad was a sports journalist, presenter okay. um, on regional TV, the match of the day and did all that kind of stuff. And so I just in my head was like, yeah, no, I'll probably Who's be on TV. Um, Steve Lee. So yeah, he was... Um, okay sports reporter, reporter in the Midlands so did Midlands Today and then other stuff in Sky Sports that kind of thing so in my head I was like yeah I'll just do I'll just do that so I was around that from a really young age and then my mum went back to school uh kind of thing when I was 
yeah early teens and did a, a law degree part-time like evening class and then became like this like awesome lawyer and was like the first female like partner first female md and really had to kind of push that ceiling so i think in my head i was like i definitely should go to university the first time first time round. so i was first in family to do that and maybe do something that's going to challenge in business i don't know what that is maybe that is what i'm doing now i don't know but yeah yeah there wasn't a particular like one job I just kind of thought yeah I might just do a bit of that yeah like broadcasting that press sport thing just felt like yeah that's just something I'd do so yeah you just you, I'm kind of going totally off, off um, order here but you just said <laughs> something then that made me think about the first question again you, you said in the first question and you're talking about your mum that made me think about it you said in the first question about um, supporting kids or doing work with kids and stuff yeah I don't feel like we gave that enough um, yeah so time. Uh, yeah so like with the marketing and comms that I do so I do a lot of press stuff and marketing stuff and had worked in-house in sport then higher ed and when I was in higher ed I was kind of blown away by the amount of agencies that were prepared to tell me what Gen Z looked like this is what millennials are this is who Gen Z are and they're really scary you can't put they're really hard to reach and they're all in you know they've got memories of goldfish they're into three second bits of content all these kind of stereotypes right and I just thought, what an absolute load of BS, having worked with students in higher ed, like, how could you label one whole demographic as the same? Like, there yeah. are benefits to saying, you know, contextually, this is what they might have been through. But it kind of annoyed me, particularly at a time where young people are going through a lot. And there's a real power imbalance in society generally around how we treat youth audiences. Yeah. So when I set up on my own thing to freelance or take on campaigns, I had a particular interest in engaging in people better or I guess rephrase that helping other marketing and comms professionals understand the context that different youth audiences were facing and how they could work with them to improve their campaigns or just have a bit of knowledge around okay we're we're trying to target this one specific group of young people what are the you know the tribes within that how are they behaving what's going on for them um you know like I read an article the other week for example from a youth marketing agency and I won't name them. And they were saying, you know, student homelessness is on the rise. And it is it's true. And the cost of living crisis is really hitting people, particularly students for the first time. Whole range of things there. And it's a spectrum. But you can imagine, we all remember, like, if you were a student, suddenly managing your own budgets was really hard. Um, yeah. I had part-time work throughout my university career. Um, but also with the lack of housing and the cost going up, it's, it's difficult. And it's, doesn't affect all young people the same way. Everyone's got different backgrounds, but you can imagine it affects a lot of people. And yeah. they were talking about student homelessness. And in the same sentence, it said, but don't worry, they're still into buying brands and this is how you can sell them. And I thought that is so crass and disgusting that it's not like there's no awareness there. Um, so yeah, that I became quite obsessed about, do you know what? I'm just going to share stuff to kind of help people understand that. So, you know, my podcast, like, when the new one out this week, I spoke to the Running Me Trust, who are like the leading think tank on um, racial um, equality in the UK, talking okay. about how does that affect young people, like the work they're doing to kind of improve the curriculum, loads of stuff. And that's, yeah, I get really, that's my um, soapbox question, I think. Oh, is it? Have I just ruined question number <laughs> No, <seven>? it's fine. <laughs> okay, I won't pull at that thread anymore, then we can talk about it more <laughs> later. Um, tell me something about you that not many people know. Um, so, despite working in sport for like a big chunk probably the majority of my career and have a lot of sports clients at the moment but um I growing up I never really have competitive sport in my life like to watch it but 
I guess I was a classic um, young teen female in this country and sport just fell off a cliff for me. So loved it when I was younger, wanted to play football, there wasn't a football team, um, was, I am really sure, I'm about five foot four. So netball was out um, and that was it. If I didn't, if that was, those are sports, you know, netball was on offer for girls or hockey, didn't mean like that, yeah. didn't like the gum shield. Um, didn't massively love running and so it's, I like sprinting but that was kind of it and I did ballet up to 12 my mom was like you're not going to be a ballerina I was like yeah I know and then that was it the physical activity that just dropped off and it's been later in life I'd say the last five years I kind of did jogging or the gym I've got into sort of competitive sports so like competitive crossfit stuff and like oh, weightlifting really? that's cool yeah and so like I love I love that and I just think having worked with clients like women in sport and you sport trust you've got campaigns like um, girls active and initiatives to really tackle that point I think it's um yeah I really recognize that in my own daughter like young girls need those role models to kind of have the permission to to play sport and to try sport I just think I never got opportunity to find what was right for me at that age so yeah there's a real issue with kind of girls dropping out of sport at that kind of age do, do you think yeah. that I mean we talked beforehand both 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 having daughters and stuff but do you and it's kind of something that's on my mind the sport so for instance there's a as a one of the dads in her of her classmate he's a rugby coach and he does like kids rugby of which girls are totally welcome and i mean she's five right so they're doing the the what's it called touch rugby, rugby with the, with yeah, the yeah. little ribbons hanging off their shorts and whatever have you have you seen then because your daughter's a little bit older than mine so have you seen a, a difference between her experiences and yours oh, is it getting better I guess is yeah. what I'm trying to say I mean I think whether it's because me and my husband are really conscious of it with her but we've she so did gymnastics kind of tried dancer for when she was younger and then I knew her character she probably needed team sport in her life yeah. and it's been like the making of her she's so I think it kind of put her in a place in a really nice way and made her think about teamwork and and being there for your teammates she doesn't she plays football she doesn't score a lot of goals. She's a defence player, but she is really intrinsic in like, right, I'm helping that player. I'm doing this and thinking about the collective team. So valuable. Yeah. And she's a real, that's brought our real leadership quality in her. And she has that permission to kind of do it. So she's got a couple of fr- really good friends that aren't sporty at all, which is fine. But she also has some friends who are sporty. And I'm sort of like, well, it's cool. Everyone's into different stuff. And she sees me coming in, looking in absolute state. She came to watch for the first time a, a comp I did, uh, couple of months ago um and she was like come on mummy and like um that's my mummy <laughs> as, as much as it was annoying when I'm trying to do like a max lift I I loved it because I thought do you know what she's seen me be totally vulnerable oh, 100%. and yeah it's so important for it we, we talk about this a lot like our kids watching us do things like we used to take them to park run and like even when they're in a push chair just push them around in a, like just because kids are sponges aren't they they got they see you just doing bugger all they will do bugger all. But if you can't I, see it, you, on my high horse. But. <laughs> no, but if you can't see it, you can't be it, right? It goes the same for our diversity and inclusion. Like, if there is no one that looks like you doing something, yeah. why would you do it? Because you, you're you're telling yourself like, well, that's not for me. So I think yeah. that's so important with like physical activity. But yeah, no. So I mean, I say people don't know it. God, if you're if you follow me on my personal Instagram, everyone will be like, stop posting videos of lifting. <laughs> like Jesus, stop it. <laughs> but I don't. I, I want to ask you about CrossFit. I'm kind of curious. But my, my, did your daughter watch uh, football in the summer? Yes, yeah, she did. We took her to watch. Um, we went to watch um, England play at, um, at the Old Trafford, actually. And oh, did you? yeah, and a really sweet story there with my son, who is going to be 
a feminist of the future. But his first football match, in fact, they're both the first football match, we went, took him to see Man City um, women play Chelsea and they play at the training ground. And, you know, like having been in football, having worked in premiership football, men's football, um, big part of my life growing up, the women's game was like really reasonable tickets, free hot drinks. All the players yeah. stuck around to like sign stuff. Lovely, really nice family environment. And um, my son was a bit about five at the time. And he looked up. He said, "Do you know what? I think I'm going to support Man City." As a Villa fan, it's always disappointing to hear, isn't do, it? Do you but live in Manchester? No, we live Stoke on Trent, so between okay. Birmingham and Manchester. And I said, "Yeah, yeah, that's fine." And he said, um, "Do they have a men's team?" <laughs> and um I just think isn't that great that actually his first experience and his main experience so far of football has been watching women's football yeah my my brother and sister-in-law took my niece it was kind of a bit frustrating actually because I live in Gloucestershire okay but there was no real games around our way whereas um my brother and sister live in sister-in-law live in Sheffield and they like they they took her, my niece like a couple of games, and they said it was just amazing. Like just she wouldn't have. They said the atmosphere was better. Like I've been to many a football game, and would I take my five year old daughter to? I don't know if I would actually. Whereas they said it was completely different for the women's game. Yeah, I kind of fell out of love with football a little bit having worked in it. I must say, like I loved football, and then being around it lows and being around supporters and like I used to have nicknames for some of them so I worked in the press office at West Brom and there'd be one guy that I'd call the oracle because he'd be like lads you need to score and it's like wow like what insightful <laughs> advice and then they'd be yelling at them and like hateful and it's like are you paying all this money as a fan because you hate them like it's, and there's a really in fact the high performance podcast I listened to their latest one which is like five lessons from the England camp okay. such a good listen because um, they kind of talk you through the fact that you should watch sport, um, particularly England this weekend, with empathy, not opinion. Because it's yeah. so easy to be like, why isn't Gareth Southgate like shouting on the touchline? Like, has he? And then they basically said, like, has he ever been that person? Does he? Is he a leader? Of you know, does he say what he's going to do? Is he? Is that? Is he true to his word? Absolutely. Do, do, are the players harassing referees? Do you know? I've really noticed that. No, they don't. They totally walk mm. away from situations. And it's just really funny as fans, sometimes they have opinions like, you know, Gareth Southgate should be sacked after the USA game, probably always have his time. And then minutes later, it's like, oh, it's just mind numbing. Well, everyone's a keyboard warrior, aren't they? Oh, God. It's, Everyone. Yeah. Like, you know, when, we, when they sort of went out, uh, they lost on penalties in the Euros. I couldn't believe the vitriol and the opinion and the comments going around. And then like, particularly against Saka, for example, and then he goes and scores against um, Iran. Oh, he's the best thing since sliced bread. Oh, yeah. The part-time racist in football is uh, a real problem. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and, and you get quite a lot of that. And I've spoken to quite a lot of um, female journalists in football and working in the men's game has been really hard for them, like really hard uh, because, you know... Well, there was that incident the other day, wasn't there, with... Um, uh, is it Aluko? Aluko, her name? Any Aluko? Any Aluko, yeah. And she made like a... I mean, God... It's an honest comment. I mean, we've all done it. Just, I mean, unfortunately, Are you telling her, me we've TV. not seen a male pundit make a faux pas? Like, come on. But yeah, mm. uh, this is, yeah, and that is part of the problem. And I'm sure you may get it in women's sport, but what I really hope with women's football is it's diff- we don't need to make it like men's football. It's yeah. its own product and own brand. And I think certainly from the partnerships and commercial element, I would hope that it learns from that, like men's game. No, hundred percent. Um, I'm really interested in your CrossFit story. Oh, it's not that interesting, honestly. No, but it, CrossFit, it, like I just 
So I was going to a gym and I did various different challenges and I, I'm someone that likes something to work to. So, you know, I train most days, sometimes twice a day. And I was like, oh, I just want like, you want a challenge. Like people enter rate, like 10K races, I guess, for the fun of it. And mm-hmm. been, there was like a beginner's comp and one of them it said, oh, we're going to take a couple of teams that you should do it. And so we were like, were, were, oh. you into, were you into like weightlifting beforehand? No, I, I always enjoyed it a bit at the gym and then kind of had a program. I was like, oh, I enjoy learning like to, to challenge myself so I did the, the comp we I think it became second at the beginner comp we we're like well that's fun and then we we're like should we find another one and then I think learning to lift properly like doing the Olympic lifts I was like yep. I love this I like it gave me such a, a buzz and I think it's been the best thing for like my mental and physical health like work for myself having that routine of like training around that I love it so yeah it's good oh, that's cool we went to um <laughs> kind of a funny story we went to the CrossFit Games in Madrid about did you six years ago it must have been because my wife was pregnant at the time and we just we didn't so it's a weird thing we're where we lived before six years ago we joined this crossfit gym and my wife i i'm 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 a dreamer right and i'm like oh i'd love to do that and i just sign up for anything stupid whereas i'm not like particularly muscular i'm not particularly fit i'm not any of that sort of stuff and likewise my wife is very she's a great runner but she's quite she's not a weightlifter like and I said to her about doing it and and she at first she was like why would I like you know you see um these CrossFit women and there's some of them so strong and so athletic and so like muscular she's like oh I don't want to I I can't do that and she was kind of against it for a long long time and then she went we did we did this like beginners course which is like a 12-week um CrossFit for beginners and she loved it and she said of all the things she's ever done like that that 12 week thing was really good for her and I mean, then she got pregnant and it kind of it was in a lifetime in a kind of a life spectrum it's kind of bad timing and we haven't really done it again since for one reason or another but actually crossfit i think has a bit of a, a reputation um challenge because for exactly that reason right people like my wife wouldn't want to do it because it's like a yeah, I mean, I don't go to a CrossFit box, as they call them, but most of oh, the competitions okay. are. So mine's like a functional fitness gym um, for Fit in Stoke. And they got, and it, I think it was just more that kind of belief in yourself and just tra- challenging yourself. But we, we DJ because you go into a CrossFit gym to, for a comp and like within seconds, everyone's got like their shirt off and it's like, and that's just not me. But do you know what? I do it anyway. Like, it's just nice to have that challenge. Like, I need to learn gymnastics. <laughs> and I'm laughing saying this. Stuff. I turned forty this year. Like, geez, like I'm trying to do handstands. But do you know what? It's fun. Like, it's just nice to have the challenge. Ages. I mean, I'm forty four. I was forty four recently, and I'm doing stuff now that I probably wouldn't have done when I was twenty. Yeah, and look, it's good for you, like for women in particular. Like, as you get older and your estrogen drops off, like your bones are gonna be brittle as. So I know it's good mm. for me. I don't, and, you know, and I, I enjoy pushing myself and training with people yeah they're younger but also there's some older people as well and like it's just like a nice environment really that's the thing with crossfit right is it it it's scaled so actually it doesn't really matter how old or how strong or yeah. whatever you are you, it, it's kind of and this is what i was trying to say about their sort of almost reputation management it is for everyone but they don't really highlight that very well sometimes i think the, the elite end it is always that scene as like oh like rock hard abs and like isn't that amazing and whatever but yeah I think I've never been to a comp like the we went to one comp and I've never done it one on my own it's always been like a team thing but yeah um, they were literally showing us what to do because we hadn't done it and they were so nice and so supportive and they were cheering us on 
and you get that like if you see a team that's like not complete their workout you'll literally see the whole floor like clapping for them encouraging for them and that's the kind of sport that I think yeah I'll do that so yeah that's kind of I yeah as I say people who know me will be like yeah you do talk about it you're boring and we don't want to see any more gym pictures but I don't um okay at the risk of spending the next hour talking about crossfit and uh football tell me what has been one of the most pivotal moments in your life so uh, yeah i decided to answer this from a career perspective rather than like you know, obviously my children or losing parents pivotal but from a career wise i think it was seeing a job that was in a totally different sector so i was working in sports or a job totally out of sector I really wanted to sort of challenge my kind of marketing comms um, skills and take on a bigger role. So totally different sector, really big job. And I looked up job spec. And for the first time, I was like, I could do that. I have done that. And then there were things that I hadn't done, but I thought I could do that. And I remember, yeah. and I, cause I went through this question, I was talking to my husband about it. And I said, I remember sitting down with you about this job and saying like, is this too ambitious? Like I haven't done, so we're deputy director of student recruitment and marketing. And then, he said, no, but you you could do these things. Like, you haven't managed a big team, but you could. Yeah. And there was loads of research, isn't there, about men and women and how they look at JDs. and, and... I, I spoke about this exact thing. Oh, with, um, I don't know if you've listened to it. It came out on Tuesday. So maybe Joe Bird. Of, oh, um, yeah, it's on my, I've downloaded it. I've not listened to it all. She, we, we talked about exactly the same thing, about that stat about, and I don't know the exact numbers, but like 90% of men would go for a job that they 50% match, whereas... 90% of women wouldn't or something yeah it's like that. that confidence and and we kind of went through it and I was like do you know what I'm just gonna put my I when I went for it and um I think it was really pivotal because then when I decided to go out on my own rather than a whole um JD I was creating the JD of like well I haven't done that but I could do that and yeah. so it felt like that almost that moment helped me like now in what I'm doing now so yeah did you get the job yeah I did and a funny story about that job, I remember turning up and there was, so I was like early 30s and there was maybe five men all in their 40s. And one said, are you, are you here for the job interview? And I went, yeah. And he went, well, well done you. And I thought, I'm going to get this job. And you're going to add me on LinkedIn because I cannot believe, I was like, it was what I needed because I just was like feeling a bit nervous. And I thought, no, that's kind of give me a result to get it. But yeah, it was really funny funny well done you pat on the head <laughs> oh god it's kind of amazing that stuff still still to goes f- on, in fairness does, two of the other guys were like well i think we've all done well and kind of like we're like oh that's awkward but yeah so <laughs> yeah you should definitely listen to the joe bird episode she talks about stuff like that as well okay valuable lessons what's been the biggest one for you that you've learned um, i'm still learning this one but i think it is um to back yourself and go for things so it's something i tell people when i've like managed them or mentored them in the past like if you don't go for that or if you don't back yourself to do it then who's going to yeah. and it's not to, it's not i'm not saying like <laughs> that you're you should back yourself unrealistically it's not like you go oh i've always fancied doing medicine i'm just gonna try open heart surgery <laughs> yeah. it's like to think about realistically what am i good at and believing in that what you're good at and when you're given a compliment about your work go yeah that's good or even write it down um yeah. and also like you know so someone I spoke to a couple of years ago she was like oh this job's come up oh, I'm not sure I'm ready I'm not sure I should go for it I said what if someone really mediocre and crap like that that you know mm. and ha- you'd be so annoyed but if you didn't put your name up for it how would you ever know so I think it is hard when you work for yourself right because backing yourself you know you 
put tenders in or you don't get something and and the book stops with you and you can take it really personally I know I do and I'm like oh my god I'm never gonna work again I'm rubbish and then you get stuff and you're like no just grow up and go for stuff and I think that's the best lesson I think I've learned through working myself I think it's a good lesson I mean belief is just I can't remember I read it recently that that a if you don't believe in yourself no one else is going to and actually if you do believe in yourself it's amazing how infectious that is and like inspires confidence in others. And it's a real fine margin. And that could be the difference between getting a job, getting a boyfriend, getting a girlfriend, getting a tender, like anything, right? Yeah. So like why, if you're going into pitch or something, you've got to be all in and to, to do it. And um, I guess the other thing that I read, I think it's Catelyn Moran's first book. And she was saying like, <laughs> as a woman, get over the princess syndrome. Like no one's coming to rescue you. No one's going to, you know, in a job, sometimes I think there's a real toxic narrative, like, you know, just work hard, hustle culture, head down, work hard. Yeah. And you've got to tell people what you're doing and, and yeah. celebrate that and promote the things you're doing well. I'm not saying ego is a difficult one and we can be very British about it. But if you aren't, then no one else is going to do, no one's going to go, that magical person, like they're just head down, hustling away. Like Someone's watching me, I don't even realise. Yeah, like yeah. you're not in the Truman Show, you've, you've just got to get on with it. And whether you're in-house or not, I think that's a really good lesson learned because I think sometimes writing down, particularly when you're really busy and in the higher ed, it's like, oh, it's like Groundhog Day, like you've got the recruitment cycle and you think, oh, how, what have we done this year? And actually yep. when you outline, like we did these things, this is a campaign we did, sometimes you're like, oh, that's, that's pretty good. And and I think it's important to do that sometimes to take that moment to reflect. Oh yeah, hundred percent agree. Is belief something you struggled with in the past? Oh yeah, and I still do. Like some days I'm like, oh, that's awful. Or you you, I think when you work for yourself, you're like, oh, shall I put? Do, do you think I could do it? And I, I still do now. But then, you know, I've done some great campaigns and or they've done well and I've achieved and delivered. And you're like, I should perhaps like back myself to go for more of those then um but yeah like I think I'd be lying if I said oh yeah I just believe in myself it's great because it's not easy but I think yeah you, you've just got to back yourself for things yeah how do you think we get people to be more believing in themselves um I think so I so I worked in um at the English Institute Sport for like seven years that so they do all the sports science and medicine behind elite athletes yeah. so a lot of the team behind the team were like psychologists sports psychologists and I remember one, um, there's a really good book actually called Never Wrestle With a Pig by Pete Lindsay, who I used to work with there. He's now sports like at um, uh, Man City and he wrote it okay. with Mark Borden, who does stuff with England cricket. It's a really, really good book and all about coaching and kind of battling with your challenges in your mind. And they talk a lot about like how it's almost like that self-talk. And there's like another theory called like, I think it's called the parrot theory. It's like you would never say such horrible things to your friend like, yeah you're awful at your job like you're just awful and it's not true it's just your ego so it's like being objective about like am I really bad at this or am I just having a bad day am I just a bit nervous about this like and I think we're not very good at that separation sometimes of going like are we wrestling with a really big issue or are we just thinking about it the wrong way yeah um so yeah I think it's just trying to think a bit more logically it's tough though it's just it's amazing how many of us do that Oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess solve that problem. You'd be a, a multi, multi-millionaire, right? Yeah, if we could bottle that, then that's, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I just, I don't think it's easy at all. It's just one yeah. of those. But it's I'll tell you what's funny at. is when you people will look at someone like yourself, for example, 
and externally think you're doing. In fact, I talked about this with someone else the other day as well. But they will look at you externally and go, "Oh, she's you know she's smashing it. She's doing this. She's doing that. She's doing this." Oh, and good. then not know that you or someone else is sitting and going, "Oh God, that's really hard." Hundred <laughs> percent. And that's the thing. I think. Do you know what I think would also really help this? And you might have had this with parenting. So I was never a fan when you go to these baby groups and your kids are smaller. People are like who can't be honest, and they're like, they're perfect. I met. They slept through. And I just, it's such a rewarding experience. Is it? Is getting yeah. vomited on the middle of the night rewarding? Like, yeah, I love them. I'm not going to eBay them yet. But like, let's be honest, it's really tough. And most of my friends who have kids, I'm like, it's okay to feel like, God, this is a bit crap. Like, you didn't tell me about this bit. And be vulnerable and honest about how you feel. And I think that about self-doubt and confidence. Like, if you're not really being honest, it's kind of unfair and misleading. Like, that whole... You know, the whole Gary V stuff who's now big on mental health, but he went to his hustle hard, get up at 2 a.m., post it on LinkedIn, have a cold shower, be that person that's going to brag about a sports car. Okay, like if you want to, but also just say some days are really hard. Some days mm-hmm. you wake up and you're just not really feeling it and you, you get a negative kickback from a tender and you're just kicking yourself and you feel really low about it. And then, like, and this is working for yourself, it's a massive up and down. And then you'll yep. get like an amazing bit of, um, you'll get a message saying, hey, so seeing this it's great would you mind pitching for something and you're like oh my god <laughs> am i the main character like you just that's just how it is you know and i think if yeah. people are honest it's so much it's just better for everyone else because you're like oh, okay i feel a bit like that yeah it's funny you talk about the kids my, my daughter got into bed with me or into bed with us last night and um my wife then got out of bed and went and slept in the spare room and she, like, half of the night, my daughter rolled over and gave me a cuddle. I was like, oh, this is nice. Like, she doesn't cuddle me. She's very much a mummy's girl. I was like, oh, this is nice. And then she just coughed in my face. <laughs> yeah. And, and that is being a parent. And then I didn't really sleep again after that. I was like, yeah, parenting. Love it. <laughs> yeah, love that for me. Um, yeah, but just that whole vulnerability. We're just not very good at that bit. Um, but, yeah, it's kind of important. It's ironic, isn't it? Because, like, most people struggle with it. Yet most people, myself included, will look at other people and think, oh, how successful are they or how well they're doing or whatever. Oh, and comparison to Thiefu Drew, right? That is really toxic because it's hard not to. And I heard Mm. something really interesting. I don't know what podcast it was on. Someone said something like, when you're comparing, sometimes you can feel jealous or like a bit like, oh, look how well they're doing. Use that and recognize that's actually, they're doing something you want to do. And it's not... You know, good for them but also good for yep. me because like you know something you want to do because you've seen it in someone else so rather than worrying about being better than them or doing something different it's like great so I kind of know something I want to do there and do I want to enter an award or do I want to speak at an event because I'm not doing it now and that goes yeah. to back yourself like I wrote and I didn't do I haven't done one this year because I think <laughs> I remember my plan for 2020 like yeah, I've got my business plan I'm all sorted and then like pandemic and was like uh, funny but I, I used to do like really simple one page like what things I want to do this year for like my business or personal stuff and like little mini challenges or goals within that and sometimes it would be like oh seeing that's that event and like why I should maybe do that and it's like right I'm gonna back myself I'm gonna go for something I'm gonna challenge myself to try and speak at an event or do something so yeah. I think that comparison thing like it, you can make that positive uh, 100% and I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head I think most people look at social media. Actually, I don't know if that's a fair thing to say. Most people, a lot of people look at social media with that kind of comparison or envy. Or I always have done, and I always try and push this on people. It's like, look at this inspiration. Like, look at it's like it's almost showing you that stuff can be achieved. And I know that sounds cheesy as anything, 
but that's kind of the way I try and do it. And also, it's like a highlighted thing. Like like we yeah. just said, you're not really get. I mean, some of us do post, you know, a vulnerable post, whatever, but not really. No one wants to see me having a bit of a cry and feeling sorry for myself because I've had a bad day. Like, boring. Like, I'll put another lifting video on. But, like, <laughs> but showing people kind of have this curated best bits that they put on social media. And if you're having a crap day and you see someone else's best bit, Oh, you're going to feel yeah. awful. But if you just put your best bits on as well, like we're all doing that. So I think you have to take that with a bit of balance as well, don't you? Because it is hard. Like LinkedIn, like I love, hate LinkedIn. Like, Same. yeah, it's just one of those. And again, you're not going to go, I mean, you'd be, I don't know, maybe it's a business strategy, but you're not going to really say, I am awful today. I have lost this, this and this. No one wants to work with me. Can't Like you just wouldn't put that on LinkedIn. Got up at 10, felt depressed end off like you're not not. maybe there's a counterculture there for LinkedIn coming in but yes it just encourages like a unpleasant trait it does I'm the same as you I'm a bit love hate with LinkedIn sometimes it's getting better but as particularly as a woman like I had we had a particular phase where you'd get requests that go cute pick do you want to connect and you're like you know, it's not Bumble. Like, why are you treating it like a dating site? Like, no. And then you get loads of people saying, like, "Hey, do you want? Can I sell something to you?" And you're like, mm, "Rubbish." Um, I've never. I've had yeah. plenty of sales. I've never had cute pick. Oh yeah, nice pick. Hey, do you want to connect? Uh, no, wrong site, mate. <laughs> I just, I, I just don't get that. Like, or, or the worst ones actually are so that you can just instantly go well no the worst ones are you connect because it's like a, oh I see you working you're like oh brilliant and then it's like so you know how's your day kiss oh my god like this is not a, do you a, reckon anyone that's ever gone on a date with someone who has no chatted them up on LinkedIn no they probably got murdered afterwards and we'll never hear about it <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of weird but the reason I ask that is because the success rate for that strategy must be Minimum. 0.0001%. It's, right. about as, it's probably as successful as a car driving past someone and honking the horn going, whoa. But people still do it. <laughs> but people still do it. Um, yeah, to be fair, I haven't had that um, so much on LinkedIn. It's kind of changed, which is good. But yeah, mm. that, as a, and also sharing your opinion sometimes. I know mean, a lot of other women are the same. I get it on Twitter, like you'll say something a bit opinionated and then you get dragged for it. Yeah. And sometimes, like, it's just an opinion. Like, you don't have to agree. Like, you cannot agree. That's okay. But, yeah. People get very animated on social media when they don't agree with your opinion. And I just, I don't know when we ended up in this world where we all had to think the same. Like They call it sea lining. Sea lining, I think it's called. Where someone pops up and go, well, can you prove this? Does it? Or something really unhelpful. Like, not even adding to it. Like, not saying, here's a link yeah. to read. Just going, like. Oh, I've got a horrible opinion, and then just ducking back down, just to just to be. Sea lining. You know. I've never heard of that before. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, let's not go down the route of how bad social media can be, because I think we could be here all day. Um, talking about superpowers, I believe everyone's got at least one. What would you say is yours? Um, I guess this question is: Are you a Marvel fan? Just <laughs> like everyone has a superpower. Um. No. <laughs> No, I'm not not a fan. I'm not a fan. Not a huge fan. I do. I could quite easily sit through one of them, but um, I kind of pinched that question from somewhere, and I can't remember where it was now. But it was uh, not superhero related where I heard it. Well, I think probably it's a, it's a good and bad thing. I can be really single minded and 
focused on a particular thing I need to get done, like obsessively so. So if it's like insight report or sometimes it could be a really complicated project that needs my own work, but also other people and agencies. And I will like, I'm probably horrendous. Well, I am horrendous to be around at that point because I'm like, I need to get this done and all these things are happening. But it makes me also really good at what I do. So, yeah, I think it's that will take over a little bit and I will be quite obsessive about a thing, prioritizing that one thing like in work but also in life like it will just be I need to do this so when you when you do that do you and you get into that state of mind or or whatever like does that impact on your husband and kids or is that kind of they got to the point now where they're like mummy's doing this we'll steer clear for yeah I think so yeah I think that it does impact I'm not not massively but it will be something that I'm like I need to just get this done and I like I will work kind of late on on stuff like sometimes I will want to put the kids to bed and just do a late shift to like the early hours to kind of write out a strategy pull it all together and piece it all then I'm like right I've got a plan because like otherwise I'll procrastinate and it will bother me because it's like I need if I don't deal with this it's gonna just be in the back of my head same as like so we're doing something on the house at the moment and I'm like I need to get my son's room sorted because this needs to happen before Christmas and it's like I could just chill but I won't because I need to get that all done and now I'm like, yeah, he's back in his room. It's fine. But I just, yeah, I will obsessively like, I need to just do that. I need to. <laughs> it's very annoying. Just, and you're so, you kind of see it as a good and a bad thing. Oh, yeah, because, you know, being obsessively focused on, on one thing can be, yeah, bad. But work-wise, yeah, if it's a big project and there's lots of moving parts, it's also what makes it really good because I'm like, right, all in. I need to get yeah. this, all the plan together. And then I can be like, right, you do that. I'm doing this yeah it does it's a good and bad thing um, is it a superpower i'm not sure i'm sure lots of people like that but yeah well i mean you say that but i think just getting things done sometimes is a superpower right so Maybe. however you might go about doing that i think is is important i mean i've got you know i'm forever doing to-do lists and right you know things i need to get done and i'll get most of it done and it'll drag on a couple of days and then it's like, oh my god kind of just get it done so I don't necessarily think that that obsessiveness maybe just call it obsessiveness is probably a like a bad bad word to call it right because yeah, it just puts true. a negative single-minded <laughs> yeah exactly yeah no and I once did have um someone who used to manage me said that was something that she always used to rely on she's like I just know you'll get stuff done and you'll be like right that is a deadline we're gonna because you're not yeah. waiting for things to happen. You're con- and I guess that's like a leadership thing, right? Maybe. Um, well, but reliability, that, you know. right? It's important. Yeah. And I guess your clients will know that. And, and that, I mean, that's not a bad trait to be known for. I think when I was in-house, it was something I would do. And it's very easy when you're in-house to be like, oh, deadline, you know, deadlines. But when you work for yourself, it's like, well, the book stops with me. So if I don't do it, like, I'm not, A, I'm not getting paid. But B, the project's not happening. So I've just got to yeah. push things forward. So, yeah. Fair enough. Good superpower. Um you already kind of talked a bit about it but let's talk some more soapbox what's what is topic is guaranteed to get you on your soapbox yeah so it is engaging people better um and so i do have a weekly newsletter um which you can sign up for on thread and fable um which is just highlighting things that are going on with young people and yet yeah, share my podcast and insights because i just think that context is so important growing up in the uk and social inequalities and just yeah as well as the trends on tiktok and everything else I just think if you're trying to engage young people and they do need better engagement, um, you can just do it. You find them better. So, so let me ask you a question then. So I, I, 
I have businesses that are based around engagement, right? And I like you. The engagement is incredibly important and often overlooked by many, many businesses for one reason or another. What in your mind, why is engagement important? Um, because I think, particularly with youth audiences, I think the challenge is, I'm saying this is like literally the oldest millennial, is because we've been that age, we kind of, we assume, we make lots of assumptions. And I think, mm-hmm. I think we do it with older generations, even though we've not been that age before. I think we just lump them all as like, yeah. we're over 60 old. The silver surfers. Yeah. And yeah. I think we do it particularly with young people. And we sort of say, so for example, during the pandemic, it was health campaigns where don't go and kill your granny, don't do this. It's young people breaking the rules and doing going to the parties. Students doing that. It's also politicians. So we, it's very easy to sort of label young people and think they're all this. And I think when you actually engage young people and talk with them, and I've co-created campaigns with them, I've worked with youth boards on some of their professional development, it's exciting, right? And it's not like, oh, they're so new and different. It's just they have a different view on the world. And if yeah. you work with them to tailor the campaign or you know project you're working on for them it's going to land better right it's good for business it's good for you and it empowers them young people have no power i mean it's so ridiculous that at 16 technically you get married but you can't vote yeah so you so you, you've got you can make decisions over your body whether you have sex for example get married um but you cannot god forbid make do the vote and in fact new zealand have just um past there's been a bit whole big thing in the courts there that they've said that um the age of 18 voters that's discriminatory to younger people saying that you've got to be 18 so that it's likely yeah. that the voting age will go down um and yeah i think they should do in this country that's a whole other dis- discussion but yeah i just think we could do better for young people i think they're in a really difficult position yeah i think well i think from a marketing point of view i think like we struggle. Have you seen that thing on link? I've probably LinkedIn or Twitter where they got a picture of Ozzy Osbourne and Prince Charles, yeah, and they said it's like a like a persona example. It's like I'll oh, both live in a castle, both born in this year, both so and so, so and so, so and so. But one's Ozzy Osbourne, and one in, well now King Charles, I guess. And it is funny how I guess we do lump everyone together, don't we? But yeah. I guess when I was asking about engagement earlier, like, so let's talk about the use. How how do they want to be engaged? And I guess more importantly, are brands getting it right about what engagement is? So I have this thing where I think like just putting out social posts is not necessarily engagement. No, and I think a lot of brands, look, they recognise the financial value of engaging youth audience, getting them into your brand young. All, all the um, sports brands do it with like youth partnerships of like, Footballers, and we're talking kind of like low teenage footballers, isn't like some football clubs kind of sign them early, get them involved. Because other, you know, if you've like Nike or Adidas, typically you'll have chosen that before you're sort of fifteen, which you prefer, yeah, for whatever reason. Um, so they they, they recognise the financial stuff in that. I think the brands that do it well are those that will go. Actually, we want to use young people, for want of a better phrase. We want to engage with them and sell to them, and this is how we could do stuff that genuinely benefits him so if you look at someone like Stormzy Mm -hmm. he is using his platform to generate partnerships that actually offer real benefit whether that's scholarship to Cambridge whether that's murky books that's murky FC where it's like leadership positions um you know there's too many white faces in leadership in in football in particular um yet we've got you know a better diversity on the pitch that there's something not right there so 
that partnership bringing in brands like Adidas, etc., will hopefully create some significant change. And I think the brands that can do that. So, so my what I, where I challenge on the engagement front is you've got brands that have the hype and the profile. They'll do cool things with influencers, and some of their ads will look really great. And you go, oh, like a they're, they're a bit more diverse. B they're really engaging people. But but when you look into it, it's just like a glossy campaign. Well, that's but that's yeah. my point, right? Is that engagement? And and I'd say no. I'd say yes. That might yeah. that might be enough. It doesn't, they don't don't get me wrong. I don't think all brands have to be extremely worthy and do everything right by young people. But actually, if you're trying to have the glossy end here, it'll there'll be a youth washing phrase at some point. It falls short if actually you've just used youth talent. You don't pay them. For example, I know a lot of brands will do youth boards or ask young people. They don't pay them for it, and that's mm. awful. Where where young people really need that work experience, they need that career opportunities offering something that allows them to work on something or pay them for an opinion pay them to have to come up with stuff with you well that gives that young person benefit it might yeah. be a program that helps you know more young people so i think there's yeah there's better ways hmm. like so there's a campaign i've just done called awkward moments um.co.uk for nhs scotland and it was cited in a medical journal for best, one, yeah. yeah, best engagement, like for really good engagement with young people, and all that really was, and it's not like a secret, and it wasn't rocket science. It was just a different process, alongside the creative process, like our films, our scripting, and everything else. I had a youth engagement plan. So, what are we doing here? Are we making sure we've got time to, rather than going to a young people person or group of young people, which is often the case, like which do you prefer, this or this, and they go, uh, that we went by young people, we engage young people, actually saying yeah. like. Okay, so we're thinking of these themes. Like, there's a few extra steps, and it's not that hard. It just takes a little bit more time and a bit of thought to go. Actually, rather than going with a preconceived idea, let's go with them and saying, "This is what the research is telling us. What do you think? What do you need?" Okay, we're thinking about these creative paths. Then what? And then going back to them and making those young people feel valued and empowered. That's the yeah. difference. And that's kind of exactly my. That's, that's very similar train of thought to me and what I'm working on because people whether it's youth or whatever, people want to feel valued right they want to feel like their opinion is actually being listened to as opposed to oh you know let's interview 100 women about this shampoo and then put out a tv campaign that says 82 percent of women love this shampoo yeah I mean, it drives mad. It, yeah and it's the same thing whereas my kind of view is like if you went out to a hundred thousand women and did it i mean obviously the stats might be a little bit different but people will feel involved in, I mean, it's kind of a bad example, but if you can get people involved in that process and actually feel like they're being listened to and, and their, their point of view is actually being um, taken seriously, then all of a sudden you've got like that sort of brand affinity, right? And actually people, I don't know, it's kind of weird. It's like, it's funny listening to you say it because I feel like it's so obvious. Yeah, but if you look at, say, the beauty industry and you look at Dove as the example, mm. their campaign around... Uh, the use of filters and girls and girls talking to their mums about social media and everything. That's nothing to do with product, but it is to do with the beauty industry and how they feel about their bodies and how they are perceived. So suddenly you've got a brand there who are really talking about real issues and substance. They're not asking 30 people if they like their soap. And they're kind of going that extra mile to talk about engagement. And I think that's and I say extra mile. It doesn't always have to be. It's not always about cost. But it's not even that far, is no, it? No, <laughs> but, but we see it very much in this, you know, since um, the 2020 Black Lives Matter movement, um, and particularly there, we're seeing a lot of tokenistic 
you know, well, we, we really want to, you know, challenge issues for, you know, young black people in the UK. Do you really? Are you well, actually It's, like, it's like when International Women's Day rolls around every year or, or the Pride Festival and like every brand changes their, their um, logos rainbow or International Women's Day is one that drives me mad. I remember in my last, in one of my previous um, jobs, they're like, oh, what are we going to do for International Women's Day? And I was like, nothing. I was like, because I don't want to be one of those brands comes out championing women like for one day and then turning it off and then you know not talking about because i think that's just a joke like yeah I, that's, that's my soapbox <laughs> one, <I'm not> gonna... <laughs> yeah but it's yeah. true but i think that with youth engagement as well like massively and we yeah. you know we had all those all those kind of health messages about young people during the pandemic and i thought young people that was a really for me highlighted just how badly they're served because it was all like they're all breaking the rules they're going to go and kill their granny matt hancock the audacity to say, don't yeah. kill your granny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm not going down that one. <laughs> That's another um, do, I mean, it's kind of a weird question maybe, but do they do they want to, and I guess again, very generalistic, but they want to be engaged, right? Yeah, so every audience group, but it's it's on what and it's how. And, and so yeah. I, I won't say, well, you should be on TikTok, you should do this. It's not about that. It's thinking about, because again, there's this ego that gets in the way so much with campaigns with young people right so you'll have a organization going we need to be saying this and they insert themselves in the campaign but if yep. it's a positive behavior changes if it's about getting young people to do a certain thing what's going on in their life what's the context are there youth groups or people doing this already that you could support do you need to be the star of this moment or do you yep. just so the brands that invest in the systems around young people like love that they don't need to hype themselves up they recognize the importance um and yeah motion people do have a great grasp on politics on global issues but not all young people so it's like saying all young people care about the planet well yeah. if you're asked if you care about the planet very people very few people go no they don't care let it burn so it's a stupid stereotype a lot of young people oh well, yeah but the hypocrites and that's the other thing hypocrites are like fast fashion they probably don't have much money. So for a lot of them, they're just weighing up that. They're, they're finding their feet. They're thinking about, actually, how important is it to me? How does that connect with me, my identity? So we'd use these simplistic terms. And I just think it's unhelpful because older generations find it very easy to label young people as snowflakes. Millennials have been snowflakes for years. And now well, suddenly I was, it's I was Gen just, Z. I was exactly what I was just going to say before Gen Z came around. I mean, you're were, you were slightly younger than me, but we're probably a similar generation millennials used to be what gen z are now right and it was always the joke millennials do this millennials do that yeah i do and that wasn't that long ago no not at all and i i've got uh do a workshop um on engaging people and do it with comms 2.0 quite a lot called youth matters and one of those slides i remember i just get a load of headlines out that are written about millennials my favorite one is something like millennials are ruining the napkin industry (laughs) because (laughs) because they didn't want to use as many paper napkins because they care about the planet right and so it's just like it, it actually it's the same old thing it's not actually anything new like gen z like um i saw something the other day like subcultures the new thing when has subcultures not been relevant like it's just mm. such a load of bs that you see and it's so easy to kind of late like all gen z are this or they're all it's woke. Just the headlines isn't it right it's just the war on it's woke, just lazy yeah there's war on woke at the moment and i actually got called woke by someone in a senior meeting not long ago and i went but the opposite of that is being unwoke and not aware of things it's kind of yeah. a funny like diss and they were like I never thought of it like that I was like well yeah like 
what's the well, problem? Won't woke has the same problem, doesn't it? As it's just a generalization. Yeah, and and again, it's a spectrum. So it's yeah. like it's, I think the phrase used to be political correctness. All oh, political correctness has gone mad. It used to be. I used to hear that all the time, and yeah. I just think it's yeah, it's laughable. Of course, it's going to be kind of an evolving uh, narrative that goes on in society, but that's not young people. Certainly, aren't like driving that. They have like little power really yes they can use social media to challenge things and talk freely but yeah it's a it's a funny one but yeah that's that's my soapbox oh, it's a good soapbox i just it, i mean just for me it just comes back to engagement in general i don't think brands engage enough and i think it's such an obvious oversight because if you, if you compare engaging with campaigns for example engaging like an engagement campaign is a lot cheaper and easier than a than a like um a marketing campaign and yes it could be both in this crossover or whatever but so few brands do it yeah but and also what's the what are you trying to achieve so just in some stuff with the foundation stuff with amex i did a socially mobile course which is a great shout out to them it's a really good um 10 week course by sarah and steve waddington oh yeah i saw i've seen it's that. really great you and, did it did you yeah um did it this year and um you can pay for a place as well and you know comms courses are really expensive i think and it's really reasonable like 670 pounds so i definitely recommend that to anyone what, what, what made you do that because all my postgrad study um has been with the cim professional postgrad diploma or i've done some free things and i've not done a specific postgrad comms thing and i'm a cipr member but just haven't invested in the course and now I work for myself it's hard right you're not going to employ again might offer you to your course yeah. and this just seemed interesting and relevant and really bite-sized way i could fit something in around my work so yeah would recommend that so i did that I did some stuff with amit they've got a foundation kind of course and the measurement and framework around like behavior change that i was using um amit framework is fascinating and it was a bit like well, what do you want from this campaign because people sometimes talk about these vanity metrics and they go mm-hmm. well we want engagement it's like actually out of all this audience, we wanted young people to feel this about it. And we did surveys and we want some qualitative insights to say, actually, this this is working because young people feel confident in talking about consent. This is awkward moments. Well, it, did it do that? Yeah. And actually, it's not trying to be like, yeah, we've got five million doing this. Like, I think yeah. we need to remove that from the idea of campaigns. It could be on a really small level. Some of the best campaigns I've done have been like low budget or very niche, but have a really successful measurement yep. framework around them. So... Yeah, I think that engagement point, you know, speak to people before, do they recall it or speak to a group after and then say, actually, now I'm thinking in this different way or I'm challenging something in a different way because I've watched this. Like, that's more, that's a richer take from it than like however many stats you get. Oh, you're preaching to the choir. I just, yeah, <laughs> I did that. I could get on my soapbox about that as well. I just, it, I think it's just mad because I think that the quality of the communication you have with people and if you do that through an engagement thing is so much so much so a lot more richer than getting some love island influencer on tiktok to do something because there's a million effing tiktok videos out there that it's just a stream stream you forget stuff like straight away and yeah it just blows my mind a bit to be honest yeah absolutely and what's the purpose of that influence you're getting involved with because you do more with the money if you actually did a load of stuff for a load of micro influencers that are relevant in that community that you know yep. enrich the conversation you're having so yeah i think um yeah you still get asked i think my favorite was asked <laughs> i've had a few 
bizarre ones before. My favourite was um, when I was in higher ed and an academic wanted me to get in touch with that message. I presumably thought I had a number. Jennifer Lawrence, as in the actress oh, yeah. Jennifer Lawrence, because he thought his campaign might be really interesting to to fund somehow, which was interesting. Um, <laughs> so yeah, all of those are all like, oh, what about Zoella to do this thing? You're like, oh, okay, guys, like you've just Googled influencer marketing here. Like it's, your influencers would be totally different. So yeah, sometimes it's good not to be on trend. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, I'm sure there's a place for it. There is a place for it, undoubtedly, but I just, it seems to me like just overlooking the basics and the, the I don't know, it just, it's almost like a low-hanging fruit, isn't it? Get the influencer in and... Yeah, it just goes can... back to what you're trying to do. Like, what mm. are you trying to... We talked, me and Harriet talked about it on Have Got Five Minutes about supply chains. Like, there's so many influencer campaigns that you, you'll get. Like, Molly made in this thing with a fitness brand and then it, they didn't have the stock. So it was just a total waste of time because they didn't have the stock anyway. So it's just thinking about what do you actually want to do with this campaign? Where are you going to send people? If they're yeah. interested and you can't sell to them, if that's really your MO, well, then what, what are you doing? Are you building a community? Like, I think it's just, yeah, there's a lot of campaigns that fall short that will get an agency into going like, yeah, I'll just spend loads of money on this and not really think about the behaviour change or how they're going to measure it. That's or, basics, you know. right? It, well, you'd, you'd think, you'd think, yeah. but apparently not. Okay. Um, sounds like our soapboxes are quite similar in, in a weird sort of <laughs> way, but um, <laughs> to save the audience turning off for us just moaning for the next half an hour, let's, uh, let's move on to advice. Um. What's some of the best pieces of advice you've heard? Um, the best piece is just start. So when I was thinking about the podcast and thinking about doing some research, setting up on my own, like going out with what I was doing, best piece of advice was just like, you just need to get started and not have that pressure on. You need to be a finished article. You're going to be perfect before you go out as a freelancer. Or you're going to have the best podcast with like amazing audiences and sponsors. You just need to get going and learn and perfect your craft and I think that goes back to like maybe my superpower thing around get going but someone yeah. literally said like you're you're going to end up to a point where you've planned it and you're gonna you've got that fear of starting you just need to get going and so I think yeah that's that's the best bit of how, how long had it taken you to um how, how long had you thought about it before you did it I procrastinated heavily about a podcast for a year but not not actually doing anything about it. I didn't have a plan for format. I didn't really look into it. It's just like, yeah, I'd quite like to do one. It was just like a thing yeah. I wanted to do. And then actually it was the pandemic where I was like, do you know what? I'm not going to be getting out to different things. I've got a, bit, a little bit more time. Like, I still had quite, I was fortunate enough to have quite a few contracts, but it was quieter in terms of the new stuff and I couldn't get to a lot of the new things I would have normally done. And yeah. So I was like, do you know what? I've just got to do it. Just get over myself and get over myself. Yeah, just start and get over yourself. No one really cares. Like public right. speaking, I'm ugh, is like a, ner- a fearful thing. But then also, I've done it quite a few times now. And the truth is, the, the best bit of advice on that was just like, with all due respect, no one really cares around what you look like, if you fumble a word. Yeah. And also to remember that most people in that audience, and again, I guess it is the same podcast, kind of want it to be good, right? They're not watching you going, I hope she is terrible it'd be funny if i fell over like granted but most people like in job interviews they they? would they would most people want you to do well and i think that's the same with like job interviews and everything very few people i mean some have evil villain eras i get it but very few Mm. people go i really hope they're crap i really want them to fail so when you think actually like what am i scared of like they're with me they want me to do well what i'm just a bit scared of because it's a bit nerve-wracking like 
that helps I think and just to get on with it it's good advice if, if someone came to you now and said oh I think I should start a podcast what would you say to them I'd be like yeah what do you want to do it on and don't try and be everything to everyone be like find that niche like the hear it podcast is really niche compared to have you got five minutes which has you know you've got like eight thousand downloads I and mean, that's still really, really small right but it's um mm. talking about all sorts of industry stuff here it is like there's not loads of people that go I really want to improve engaging young people and marketing comms but I'm passionate about it and I think if you find something you can waffle on about as we have clearly demonstrated well it's um, interesting yeah. you say that though so I, one of my challenges is I don't think I'm very niche I, I not. I mean, I speak to a lot of marketing entrepreneurial people, but that's mostly because that's the that's that's sort of my network, and it's almost easier to go out to your network first. But you care about what, their story, right? So I think that is, is that different. It's, it's different to what's out there. I think, and you've got like your your set questions. It doesn't. Have, I mean, your niche doesn't. It, I'm not saying like what's how big or small the niche is. I think if you can feel passionate about finding. Mark on people to talk about their business and their how they've kind of come come to it and what they think mm. about things. That is your area that you kind of feel. But that's interesting, yours. right? Because I, I agree with you 100%. If someone asked me, I would say, try and find a niche you're really passionate about. But my I don't want it to be Marcoms necessarily. Yeah, like, it could just be anyone. It is, and but that's the problem, right? So anyone, I, I, I have this kind of belief that everyone has an interesting story or maybe not a story, but they definitely have insights that someone will listen to and go, oh, I listened to Rebecca on that podcast and she said this and this. I said, that's really, you know, and you have that positive impact on someone. But likewise, I could speak to, I'm speaking to someone next week who is another podcaster and they are solely a podcaster and that that is their business. Nothing marketing, nothing. And they will have other advice. And I love it because I get to speak to this huge range of people, but then from a targeting perspective, or, or sorry, that's wrong, wrong phrase maybe, but from an audience building perspective, it's a little bit of a slower burn because you're not sort of tapping into that community and going, oh, this is a CrossFit podcast, so I know that CrossFitters can share it with other CrossFitters, or this is a marketing podcast. And it's just, I don't know, I don't know why I'm going down this thing, because it's just something I thought about, and it's the same, it's a challenge, it is. Yeah, I get I get that. I think with podcasts, if you have people that share it to their network, then you expose yourself to another audience group that kind of is interested in them. Yeah. That yeah, may yeah. then follow you. And I mean, and look, that was kind of my logic. Hey, it worked actually, to Stephen Bartlett. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he's doing all right for himself, isn't he? Do do this is kind of a podcast question. When you get guests on, mm-hmm. do you find that they share it with their networks easily? Um, most do some don't yeah and that's okay but yeah most do some are just really busy and some maybe have that whole like oh do I want to share this or whatever and I guess I do you know what's really funny though and this is really cringe and and quite but but I I will share it because when I first did the Hear It podcast I felt embarrassed to even share it myself I really didn't promote it and I look back and I'm like that is so funny because why was I not I was the same not really wanting to kind of oh, I don't want to bore people. But now I'm like, the first four days after you release a podcast are the key ones, right? You need to yeah. be shouting and sharing about it and then reflect on it. And I try and write, I don't do it every week, but most weeks I'll try and write a little blog about what I spoke about with that person and share it on LinkedIn. It's another way to kind of um, share any learnings from it that's, that's useful. 
Um, yep. But yeah, it is it is hard, and you just still find out what works for your audience. And some weeks, like I had Bruce Daisy on Mind of the Week, he's got a huge audience, and mm-hmm. he shared it a couple of times. And obviously, those people come to you and they'll listen to it maybe because of him. Um, yep. But then you'll have other people who don't have a big following, but they're really super engaged with the podcast and yeah, yeah, yeah. the conversation, and they'll share it, and there'll be a huge spike from that. So it just depends, really. It's funny you say that. I was the same. Like I'll put it on LinkedIn and I'll put it on Twitter because I have this sort of um, anything kind of goes on there, right? Yeah, and people but I don't, don't put see it on my personal often. Instagram. Yeah, well, I do. I go through Facebook and I'm like, oh my gosh, loads of people. And someone at the gym actually the other week went, oh, I listened to such and such, and I was like, oh, I was really embarrassed, which is so stupid. But I was like, oh, yeah. you listen to it? Oh, okay. And I was like, what? Actually, you're putting it out there. Just get on with it because no one really cares. And like. Yes, I'm sure someone's listened to my podcast and going like, who does she think she is? I, who cares? Because it, it really doesn't matter. But that's like mm. your inner ego going like, oh, I'm worried about sharing this with friends or whatever. I mean, yeah, my personal stuff probably don't have as much interest in it if it's Mark Holmes stuff. But some might, might, you never know. I told this story before about, um, I don't know if it's the same for you, but I had this one person, when I first started doing this, I had this one person in my head who was, he was that person I was kind of a bit embarrassed to share it with. And I was a bit like, oh, and there was no reason for it, right? He hadn't said anything in the past that made me think these things. So anyway, then um, he was the first person when I put it out, he was, oh, I love the podcast. And I was like, oh my God, all this worrying I've done about this for all this time. And it's he's just so like, funny. yeah, loved it. Yeah, it's so funny, isn't it? Because you do worry. And I, I shared one the other week and tagged the guy in, and I hadn't heard, he hadn't like liked, not that I expected him to share it, but I hadn't heard anything, and I was like, my social anxiety was like, it was a nine, and I emailed mm. him, and I was like, hey, look, if you want me to edit anything, like, just check in, he was like, oh my god, I'm so sorry, I've been really busy, I've not had a chance to listen to it, like, I w- wanted to listen to it first, and then write, and he wrote this like amazing post, quite a few days later, and, t- and loads of like 50 or something people have been commenting, engaging with it, and it saw a little spike in kind of, you know, downloads, and it it was just because you've been busy, but like yeah. you'd it, you're putting something out in the world, you feel vulnerable, right? So you're like, oh, I yeah. hope they liked it. Of course, you're going to feel like that. I had um the other day some random guy who I'd never met before. Was never... it on LinkedIn? Yeah. <laughs> Did you see nice. it? No, I just said was like I'm thinking of what I said before, like nice pick. <laughs> oh no no no! This was totally like I had this notification pop up, and it was like so and so has. Sh- and he'd written this long post about one of my get one of my podcasts with one of the guests. And he was like, "This is great. I've learned this, this, and this." Ah, I was so chuffed. It's so nice though when people actually genuinely like it. Yeah, it's not like me going out to my wife. God, can you here's the links to Twitter and think you like it, please? Well, I went to an <laughs> event the other week, and someone came up to me and was like, and I, "And I know them from social media, which sounds horrendous, but you just knew." Them. Yeah, and. She was like, I listen to all yours. I absolutely love your stuff. It's so nice to meet you and chatty and whatever. And I was like, oh my God, like that's so embarrassing. But what a lovely thing to say. And I was like, yeah. and I was a bit embarrassed. She was like, please don't, no, don't be like that. But it is a bit embarrassing. So I think it's really nice when, and it makes me think, oh, when I see something I really like, I make the effort to go, that was really helpful. Thank you. Or Same. it makes you like kinder because you realize actually putting stuff out there is mortifying at times it's very nerve-wracking so when you read something Rebecca, like I'm, exact, you know. I'm exactly the same if I see something now whereas before I was a bit of a just if I might like a post tweet or whatever, I'll just scroll past whatever and it wasn't any other reason 
but now I will go out of my way to at bare minimum give it a like it goes back to your point about engagement right so you're now recognizing actually kind of goes both ways not because you don't like it because you think oh they might like mine but you recognize actually yeah yeah Yeah. no it's a good i mean that's a good lesson for yeah i think it's important i think it's like when you read this stuff about when you start your own business and like there's that post that goes around like people will buy um Kim Kardashian's lipstick and Kanye West trainer, or maybe not anymore. I don't know, but <laughs> think um, they think they're out off um, off limits now. <laughs> yeah, or um, I don't know, whatever sort of a listers product, whatever. But then you come around to sort of like your your friends and whatever, and it's true. It is very true, and it kind of bugs me. It's one of my it's another one of my soapbox things. But I will. I used to do that was when people started businesses. I would go out of my way to be you know, follow all their socials or if I could buy something, I would or whatever. But, and it's the same thing when people are creating content, like now doing this podcast and, you know, the time it takes and then all the editing and the rest of it, or even if it's just a blog post, people have gone out of their way to write something. And although I would have always appreciated or maybe appreciated in the past, I'd never let them know I'd appreciated it. But now I know a little bit more how uh, challenging it is. I would go out of my way to um express that yeah i think it's that whole thing i was on a meeting yesterday and um connected with someone about like it was a future podcast stuff but we were both working in a similar space we were having a chat and he was like i see i've seen your blog but i've not read it all about um the cost of living crisis on young people and we were really honest with sort of talking about like the importance of like shining a light and stuff blah blah, blah. And he was like i haven't mm. read it though but like i know you've been doing and was, it was like oh and i said yeah i've seen that but i haven't read it and i hadn't read something he'd done but we were sort of laughing like but we wanted to to acknowledge that we kind of had almost like done our homework yeah. before meeting and stuff. So, you know, that kind of stuff's good, isn't it? You get what you put into things. I think no one loses out. And it's that whole comparison of the thief of joy. No one's going to go, oh, you're, you've given away thanks to someone else so that you must think they're better than them. It's like, just be yeah. generous with that because, yeah, it's free. Abundance mindset, they call that. Indeed. Yeah. Um, okay, let's talk about the future. When you think about the future, what do you see? So on work stuff like engaging the young people piece that was my soapbox, I think I think we're definitely at a point where youth audiences are going to need to be engaged better, like societal issues and everything else. Politics is another one. So I think that's an area that's going to be interesting work-wise. Um, and then for me, I mean, I'm hoping to do a few more projects where they are collectives, where I put teams together, okay. because I definitely think... I've toyed with the idea of having an agency before but for me I guess one of the big drivers was having been in house when you have like an agency you often get like the junior working on it's a great pitch and then you get someone and then you end up doing loads of it yourself anyway so that collective for me it's more you know working with great people who are all in really interested by this project and then we disband and do our own things and yeah I kind of want to do more of that because it's fun and creative I guess nowadays like if you just said five years ago you wanted to do a collective you'd have probably struggled to actually find the members of your collective, right? Whereas because of the way the freelance and um, stuff's booming at the moment, even like the, uh, what's it called, the fractional uh, job roles, like actually you could probably put together something pretty special, right? Uh, a recent tender, I had people on there that I would never in a million years be able to afford as an agency. They're you know, yeah. senior, top-level really well-established experts but they're cool people i get on with them we've worked together or 
you know, been on podcasts, let's say, before, yeah. and we were like, yeah, let's go for this. I'll do, I'll do that side and put it together. Now, if you had an agency, it just wouldn't be the same, and you, it wouldn't be the same kind of work. Definitely wouldn't be the same kind of team. And then you yeah. then you're at that point where you've got to take on a certain amount of work to to pay the bills, to pay all the people you've brought on, and then does it become it's just different I, me me for me personally that mass idea of growth 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 expansion money 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 and a huge global agency has just never been a thing that is interesting i'd rather do mm. really interesting work with interesting people and then i still get to work hands-on myself right so commonwealth games this year um great contract with them at the immersion camp in loughborough leading comms of the kitting out and all the kind of media ups before the games well yep. that wasn't like I wouldn't say like, oh, I learned loads because I've done the press office stuff before, but it was great. It was really interesting, you know, like fun opportunity and great to work in sport again. So I think that flexibility allows me to do the really interesting projects and then just whatever else. So, yeah, that's my I don't really have a plan. I'm still working on question two, I think, about what I want to be when I grow up. But, yeah, I'll let you know. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, OK, final question for you. Um so the, my previous guest has provided this question and bear in mind our conversation a little bit earlier. I'm probably sure you know where I pinched this from, but the question they asked for you is if one of your friends was struggling, what would you tell them to lift them up? So I think I would, I'm always that one positive mindset, I guess, but it's thinking about all the good things. Um, mm. And it's really easy to be, I think what's that phrase. It's something like it's, um, it's easy to be heavy it's hard to be light and I think sometimes you can think about all the awful things going on in any situation and look I think sometimes you have to deal with things hour by hour like I lost my dad suddenly two years ago and it was horrendous like out of the blue and it was like literally hour by hour like how am I doing what and I because I had sort all the funeral and everything else by myself in lockdown because you just couldn't mm. do it any other way and it was like hour by hour like how am I getting on what am I doing each day um, the friends that pulled me up were the ones that just sort of were like, be kind and gentle to yourself. And I think that's the thing. It's like we're so hard on ourselves when we're struggling. So yeah. whether it's like a little issue, whether it's like a bit of a morbid issue like I just brought up, or just like being a bit down about work, whatever, it's like you can only control what you can control. Like sometimes it just might be a bad day. It's not a bad week. It's just a crappy day. Do something that makes you feel happy. Like sometimes it's like about checking the phone off like going on a trampoline with your kids and just having a laugh and doing something stupid um it's that kind of stuff so I think it's just be kind and just find find little things that can make you happy because I think sometimes it can feel a bit overwhelming no matter what's going on is that a good answer <laughs> it's a lovely answer I, I, I mean, it's a tough question and I, and I, to give you some context the person who oh, I don't know how to phrase this the person who asked it has been through their challenges and we were talking about how um and I think you mentioned it earlier like people in general are good and people in general want to help and there's this real disconnect between people who need help or at a time when they, you know a period of their life when they need help there's a disconnect between those people and the people who can give them help and but people are always ready to help, just need to ask. But for some reason, you know, when you're in that position, asking for help seems like the very last thing. You, and I've been there, right? So it's I'm speaking from experience as well as, as this guy. And um, 
it was a good. It is a good answer. Yeah, it's I think a, that's a very long-winded way of saying the that. Calm, the calm zone, do some. I mean, it was a post I think they shared ages ago, and it was something like, when you say, "Oh, how are you?" and someone goes, "Fine," like, "Okay," like, "How are you really?" and yeah. I like, ask that question twice, and I think, as well as when a friend comes to you, and you can be kind of empathetic, but just really checking in on your friends because it's so easy to go, "Yeah, fine." Like, if someone would ask me when I was going through all that, "How are you?" I'd be like, "Yeah, fine. Yeah, I'm right." Yeah. Because you just that's just default it's a default answer and isn't we it? don't like being vulnerable you know so yeah. to sort of say do you know what like it's not great or it's this that's much yeah if you've got people that you can ask that twice i'd say that's a good thing are you are you good at sort of <clears throat> opening up like that if you need help no <laughs> i'm not which is funny no i'm really bad at are that are you good at are you good at um helping others or that sounds a bit weird but are you, are you... i find that easier than being like oh I'm struggling and that it goes back to that single-minded thing I think the bigger the challenge like I just yeah I'll just be like I'll do this all myself good and bad (laughs) indeed indeed um I will ask you afterwards for a question for I've got one yeah I have (laughs) totally prepared okay um Rebecca thank you so much for coming on this morning I really enjoyed chatting to you it's always great when I I mean I don't always know the people I have on and you know, you and I have not really spoken before, but it's been a pleasure chatting to you. Where can, if anyone wants to come and say hello or explore your stuff, where where should I put in the show notes for them to go to? Yes, yeah, so if you go to threadandfable.com and um, you can find loads of my work there. All the free engaging youth reports are there and the stuff I do. The newsletter for everyone to sign oh, up to. Oh yeah, fascinating stuff. Um, and then yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Rebecca Seven Roberts, where I ramble more. But I promise, I don't, I don't post CrossFit stuff on there. That's a whole other line of content i haven't explored yet <laughs> people are going to be hunting down your instagram profile <laughs> oh no i'll save you from the studio videos <laughs> <laughs> is, is twitter do you twitter your sort of profile of choice yeah i'm on there quite a lot and linkedin you can find my linkedin as well okay i will link to all of those in the show notes rebecca thank you so much oh, thanks for having me that was thank you interview with rebecca roberts if you made it to the end thank you i hope you enjoyed it i'm sure you did since still being here great guest wasn't she uh, I love chatting to Rebecca. First real time I've spoken to her properly and yeah, she, she was a great, great guest. Feel free to share your thoughts on any of the social channels at 10Q Interview everywhere you may look. That's all from me for now. Make sure you hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this and the next 10Q Interview episode will be live in your feed very, very soon. Thank you. Take care.